Thank you, Lord. How many of you love the Word today? I love the Word of God, and I love the God of the Word. It's good to see all of you. A couple of quick announcements before I go into the Word. Um, uh, Wednesday night, I talked on Romans 1. Went through Romans 1, where we could see the American culture through the lens of Scripture. And it caused no small stir, just the teaching of Romans 1. And I had people come up to me last night and say, Boy, I wish I could have gotten a CD of that message. And I said, huh? As soon as we're done preaching, we start recording, and those CDs are ready before you walk out of the sanctuary. Maybe some of you didn't know that, so I want you to know we record every message, and then when I say amen, they start duplicating. So you can get this message immediately after the service, a service at the connection point. So I encourage you to do that. We live in a day where you can spread the word just handing somebody a CD. And if you want Wednesday nights, I would encourage you to get it because it was uh, really strong and got a great response from it. Um, so, amen. Isn't God good? I want to begin a series today. On, oh, and the tweet. Kathy wants me to give you guys my Twitter. Is it address? I don't know. So that's it. Um, Pastor Jay Wick, uh, because I do tweet every day, and I send you, I send you a little encouragement. Good stuff, says Kathy. Well, she's my biggest fan. So, but um, I, I, I do. Amen. I, <laughs> I do. Uh, so I send a tweet every day, sometimes two. And um, it's something I really think about, pray about, and want to encourage you. So if you want to come on the Twitter account, you're welcome to do it. Now, how many of you know that God is looking for giant killers today? Have you ever wondered how God put into the heart of a teenager such a heart, such a faith, that he could walk up to a Goliath and bring him down when the rest of the Israeli army was frozen in terror? Well, how did God create such a mighty young man. Well, I'm going to talk about that in the next four weeks, the making of a giant killer. This is the message God gave me on our flight to Africa. I was on the jet, and I learned once I was on it that I was speaking many times that I did not know about. So I had to quickly come up with messages. So Holy Spirit, what do you want me to say? I had a 19-hour flight, plenty of time to pray. And so he dropped into my heart two words giant killers giant killers well when you hear that then you know you're going to David you're going to go look at 1 Samuel 17 and out of that story it just began to stir into me to preach on how God made a giant killer so let's read about it and today I'm going to talk to you about his preparation look what he says to Saul when he's just about to go out against Goliath he said, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. What a powerful statement. Let's pray. Father, we thank you right now for the word of God. I thank you that in this congregation are giant killers. I thank you that Lord Turning Point is called to be a giant killing church. We're not called, Lord, to sit, soak, and sour. We're called to grow in grace and to rise up against the 
strongholds of our day and bring them down. So Lord, I pray that your word will go deep into our innermost, innermost today and teach us and renew our minds. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Can you turn to your neighbor and tell them you're a giant killer? Don't tell me, tell them. Amen. All right, in our next four weeks together, we are going to be looking at how God prepared David for Goliath. I'm going to cover four things. David's preparation, David's determination, David's motivation, and David's proclamation. What was he determined to do when he faced Goliath? Where did his motivation come from? He wasn't even a member of the army. And yet he entered the fray of the battle and he was the one that brought the giant down. What was his motivation? And then the proclamation that David made to Goliath. I'm going to contend with you or uh, make the point in the last message that the battle was won before he ever even faced him with the, the sling and the stone. The battle was won verbally by what David said to Goliath. So his proclamation. Now let me give you a little bit of background here because the Bible does give us some glimpses into David's young life. We, we first encounter David as a teenager when the prophet Samuel is called by God to go to his house, the house of Jesse. Now why in the world did Samuel, the mighty prophet of God, go to David's house? Well, the nation was in crisis. We read that their very first king, Saul, had been deposed. He had been asked to step down or really commanded to step down because he disobeyed God. And Samuel faced him. And Samuel said, because you disobeyed the Lord, today the kingdom is rent from your hands. And so then Samuel went on to say, the Lord has searched and found for himself a man after God's own heart. Now at that point, Samuel didn't know who that was. He hadn't met David yet. Saul sure didn't know who it was. But Samuel served notice on Saul that your days are numbered, you will be removed, and a man God has found that is after God's heart is going to replace you. Well, it says at that moment, the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. What a terrible thing. And when the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, it says an evil spirit from the Lord began to trouble him. And we watched this man, this king, who had once been anointed of God, spiraling down into the abyss of madness. He begins to lose his mind over time, having paranoid delusions, believing that David was out to get him and other people were out to get him and just not trusting anybody. And he really went into the mouth of madness. So with him went the rest of the nation. Because whatever is, being, whatever is leading the nation, whoever is leading a nation, their influence and their spirit is going to trickle down onto that people. That's why it's very important who leads a nation. And Saul was mad. So the rest of Israel backslid with him. The Israeli army lost their confidence, backslid with him. There was a departure from God, a loss of confidence. Well, Samuel was grieving over this, weeping over this, all through the night. 
And God said to him the next morning, when are you going to quit crying? It's time for you to get over it and move on. I want you to go to the house of Jesse. And there I'm going to show you the next king of Israel. So Samuel takes the flask of oil, goes to the house of Jesse. And Jesse had seven sons immediately available to meet the mighty prophet. Can you imagine the mighty prophet Samuel coming into your house? Let me tell you something. Samuel was not only a mighty prophet who the Bible says not one word he had spoken had fallen of all the prophecies he gave over Israel. Not one of his words had failed. He was flawless. And not only that, he was feared. For him to come knocking on your door, you got right with God quick when you saw who was at the door through the people. So the firstborn son comes before Samuel and he looks at him and says, this has to be him. He is so stately. He is kingly in his countenance, in the way he carries himself. He's handsome. He's impressive. And he said to himself, surely this is the one. And the Spirit of God said to him, this is not him. And Samuel didn't understand it. And God spoke to him the famous words, man judges on the outside, judges the outer appearance, but God judges the heart. And God doesn't choose by what a person looks like. He chooses by what a person's heart is like, the condition of a person's heart. That's what makes God choose. And God said, I'm not going to choose based on impressive looks. I'm going to choose based on their heart. So Eliab, I believe was his name, the firstborn, the eldest, passed on by. And seven more after him. And every time God said, not him, not him, not him, until there was none left. And Samuel said to Jesse, is is this it? Is this all of them? And and almost as an afterthought, which kind of lets you know what Jesse thought of David, he said, oh, well, there's there's one more out there in the field. He's a shepherd. And you see him, he's out there. I mean, he's he's the youngest. There's one more. Samuel said, get him. We're not going to sit down until you bring him in. David, if you can imagine the messenger going to David, messenger gets to David, says, David, I don't know how to tell you this. Samuel, the prophet is in your living room. I imagine David said, well, what's he there for? He wants you. Now, I don't know. I wasn't there, but I'm going to guess that at first David didn't know whether that was good news or not. He's 16 at this point in his life. He's a teenager, mid-range, and the mighty prophet Samuel wants him. I think he walked in trembling, and there stands this mighty, feared, anointed prophet of God, the man of God in Israel in that day, looking right at him. Now, the Bible tells us what David looked like. said he had beautiful eyes, which is the Bible's way of saying he was handsome. He had beautiful poetic eyes. The Bible lets us know that his skin was of a ruddy complexion, which is the kind of complexion we would call a fair complexion, which had to mean that his hair was not the typical black hair of a Jewish young man in that day, but it was golden. It was brown, light brown, or even blonde, or maybe reddish. But it was the color of hair that gives one a fair complexion. So you had this this striking young man physically, beautiful of countenance, handsome, flowing golden locks, young. We know that he's already learned to sing to the Lord 
in the wilderness and worship. We know that he was already a man after God's own heart because in chapter 13, God already said, I know who he is. You haven't met him yet, but I've already found him. And he's a man after my own heart called a 16-year-old a man. So there he is standing there and Samuel looks at him and the Lord speaks to Samuel and says, that's the one anointing. Now, if you can imagine David. Now, there's the seven brothers. The Bible makes a point of saying he was anointed in the midst of his brothers. Like Joseph's brothers saw Joseph get a coat of many colors. David's brothers saw him anointed by God. Samuel walks over, turns the oil, pours it down on his golden locks. It flows down his hair onto his shoulders. And Samuel anointed him the next king of Israel. You talk about a defining moment. I think Jesse was sitting there going, you've got to be kidding me. But God looks on the heart. God had seen a worshiper. God had seen one who loved him. God had seen one who had said to himself, I'm going to pursue you. I am after you. I want to know you. I want to walk with you. That's what God saw. So he's anointed. Now let's fast forward. He goes back to shepherding the sheep. I don't know what he was thinking. He had to have been dazed and just blown away by this. But he goes back to his, his job of shepherding the sheep, just, just giving all of this to God. And one day Jesse calls him and says, Look, your brothers are in the battle with the Philistines. I want you to go to the front lines and take them this bread and cheese and find out how things are going and bring me back a report. So David takes the bread and cheese, goes off on a normal, everyday, unglamorous, Aaron to run for Jesse. He gets to the front line, sees his brother, and he no sooner gets there when out steps from the Philistine army this giant Goliath. <laughs> David looks at him. This guy's awesome. This guy's unbelievable. While there, he hears the giant's words. He's no sooner standing there than Goliath speaks. And he says, choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. This is a battle to the death. He's saying, give me somebody who will fight me to the death. On hearing the Philistines' words, watch what Saul and the army did. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Not only were this guy's words terrifying, but I'm going to tell you, the Goliath was intimidation personified. He stood over nine feet tall. That would be two feet taller than Shaquille O'Neal. Shaq. Do you know if he played basketball, if Goliath had played basketball, all he would have had to do is take the basketball and walk up and drop it in. And he's ripped. He's brutally strong. The coat of armor that he wears, according to the Bible, to protect his chest weighs 125 pounds. He wore a 125-pound jacket like a windbreaker. 
And the Bible says the point of his spear that he could throw with deadly accuracy weighed 15 pounds. That's the point of the spear. So you had this long spear that you had to balance in your hand. The tip of the spear is 15 pounds. This giant could hold it back and hurl it like a missile with deadly accuracy. It went right through you. Intimidating. One man describes Goliath like this. Goliath stood almost 10 feet tall in his stocking feet. He wore a size 20 collar, nine and a half hat, and a 52-inch belt. When he got his full armor on, he not only looked like a Sherman tank, but he weighed in like one. And here he is defying the armies of the living God. This giant, this godless Philistine is defying and mocking and ridiculing and making fun of the armies of Israel, and they're all cowering in their tents. And that's the tragic scene that greeted David. David couldn't believe it. He saw that the army of Israel was totally terrified of this one man. Their boldness and their confidence were gone. The people that had taken whole cities, remember their history. This is the people that took whole cities, starting with Jericho, Cities filled with these giants. They took them one by one by one. And the Bible says that, that the army of Israel was so feared that when the word even came that they were getting close, the enemy's hearts melted for fear of the army of Israel. And now here they are hiding and quivering in their tents over one man. What has happened to them? The stakes couldn't have been higher this was national crisis. The, the Philistines were at the door. The stakes were as high as they get. Remember what he said. He said, send me out a man. Send me out a man. If he wins, we will become subservient to you. But if we win, you, Israel, must become subservient to us. That's serious stuff. You will lose your nationality. You will use, lose your sovereignty. You will become our slaves if I win. Winner takes all. Those were the terms. This was a time in Israel's history when God's order, God's rule, and God's honor, and God's reputation were in jeopardy, and a brand new godless order was poised to take over. It was a fork in the road, a defining moment, a hugely important hour, crucial hour, crisis hour in Israel's history. And I want to submit to you, church, that we're in the same place today in America. Now hear me out because there's a reason this story spoke to me. And I believe there's a message in here for us. I don't know if you're aware of it, but the devil is challenging the church like I have never seen in all the years that I'm preaching. I'm not afraid of it. I'm informing you today. The devil is challenging the church like never before. I've been preaching 40 years. I have never seen the church challenged by the devil in America and through American culture like today. Secularism, atheism, nationally celebrated perversion, and increasing persecution are gaining ground every day in the United States of America, the land of the free and the home of the brave. The nation that was dedicated to God in its beginning. And there's an unspoken but very real message that's coming out and I hear it in the media. I hear it in, 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 as I observe the culture and the attitude of the culture and the way the culture is sliding into secularism. I hear this message, and here's what it says. 
I can hear Goliath's voice. I challenge you. Send me out your very best, church. If you win, we will serve you. But if I win, you will serve secularism. You will serve a godless culture. The stakes are high. There are churches that are throwing the Bible out the window and giving up and merging with the culture and caving in and putting up the white flag. But I, I, I submit to you that there are churches who are giant-killing churches and God is looking to giant-killing churches to raise up the standard and preach the blood and preach Christ and not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If, if you win, we will serve you. But if we win, you will serve us. The stakes are high. And we're going to see that in Israel's most crucial hour, God's answer was to find and cultivate and raise up a giant killer. <laughs> Boy, I like that. That moves on me. That gives me Holy Ghost bumps. Because we all know that Right now, God's not really looking to the Democrat Party, Republican Party, Libertarian Party, any party. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. The answer is in the Jesus that lives in the church. We need giant-killing churches today. I pray that giant-killing churches are raised up. I want Turning Point to be a giant-killing church. I don't know about you, but I'm not here to be religious or to see somebody's new suit or new dress on a Sunday morning. I'm here because Jesus touched me, saved me. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. And I'm here because I want to worship Him and serve Him and do His will. The Lord's not looking for merely religious people nor appeasing compromisers, but he's looking for giant killers. People, see, I can't wait to talk about David's motivation because David's motivation was not for money or for fame, but David's motivation was for the glory of God. He couldn't stand seeing this giant mock and ridicule the armies of the living God. God's looking for those who are girt in the full armor of God and are storming the gates of hell to set the captives free. So let's explore first his preparation. How did this faith, this giant-killing faith get into David's heart? Well, his preparation began with secret battles in secret places. Now, I'm going to tell you what I mean by that. As we've seen, as a young teenager, David had been entrusted by his father to keep his sheep. It's very important to note the sheep weren't his. They were a trust from his father. Jesse said, they're my sheep, son, but I want you to watch them, shepherd them, take care of them, lead them, feed them, guide them. They're, they're my sheep, and I'm trusting them to you. We know from David's own testimony that, that over time, these sheep came under attack by two vicious predators, the worst of the worst, a lion and a bear. 
Now, it just so happened that one day, David's sitting there, he's shepherding the sheep, he's maybe playing his heart, worshiping God, who knows what he's doing, but all of a sudden, he hears the cry of a sheep. He jumps to his feet, rushes to save them, and what does he see? He sees a lamb in the lion's jaw. And the lamb is screaming. And he's about to lose this lamb. As he sees it, something supernatural came upon this young teenager. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm shepherding a bunch of sheep and I see one of them grabbed by a ferocious lion, my attitude is going to be happy lunch. <laughs> Eat good and leave me alone. It's just one lamb. I got a bunch left, but no, no, no. David had another spirit. He said, that's not my sheep. That's my daddy's sheep. It was entrusted to me. I am not going to let a lion eat what was trusted to me. And so something supernatural came upon him. And David, only a young teenager, reached out and seized that lion with his bare hands. I'm going to say it again. With his bare hands and brought him down and killed him. He killed a lion to save a lamb. At his feet was a dead lion and in his arms was a rescued lamb. Powerful stuff. Now, I believe after he did that, it washed over him. This was not normal. This was not normal. This was not normal because men don't kill lions and bears with their bare hands. The only other example we've got of a man killing a lion with his bare hands is the mighty Samson who was under the anointing of the Holy Spirit and killed a lion with his bare hands. That's the only other example we have. Both men under the help and grace of God. The realization swept over David that it had been by faith and God's power that the battle had been won. He knew the Lord because he was already a young man after God's own heart. Love God enough to say to God, I'm after you. I'm seeking you. I'm pursuing you. I want to know you. This was a huge teaching moment for David that we know burned itself into his memory because he brought it up again with Saul. Now here's what I believe was going on. David was learning in the crucible of personal, private experience when no one was watching but God and the angels how to operate in warfare anointing. By warfare anointing, here's what I mean. He learned to defeat an enemy by faith and through the power of God. You know you're operating in warfare anointing when you defeat something in your life that was bigger than you, stronger than you, greater than you, but the one that was in you was stronger than the one that was in the world. And not by might and not by power, but by His Spirit, by the Spirit of the Lord, you brought down a lion and a bear in your own life. That's warfare anointing. Now, God is providential and he's sovereign. He sees the end from the beginning. There's no question in my mind God allowed these battles to take place because he saw David's future. God saw that just down the road this young man would be handed some bread and cheese and told by his daddy, 
go check on your brothers. And before he knew it, he would be locked in mortal combat with the giant Goliath. God knew the hour he was headed for. God knew that he needed a champion. So he allowed his champion to learn warfare anointing in the shadows. In his private life. So I want to make a couple of points. First, today's private battles prepare us for tomorrow's public victories. Oh, they do, church. I know they do. Let me put it another way. No lion, no Goliath. Because you learn, you learn in God's boot camp, privately, in your own personal struggles, what you're going to take into the public arena so that the power of God can be manifested in a major way before a skeptical culture. This is where David's confidence came from to face Goliath. He would say to Saul, now he's gone to Saul, he said, I'm going to go whip him. Just turn me loose, I'm going to go whip this giant. I'm going to bring him down, he's coming down. And Saul said to him, Saul said, you can't do it. You can't do it. He's a mighty warrior. You're just a boy. And you know, the Sauls of this world are always telling you what you can't do in God. The Sauls of this world are always defining you down. But, but, but the Lord will always define you up. The Lord will say, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. The Lord will say, you're more than a conqueror through him that loved you. The Lord will tell you, by faith everything is possible. The Lord will never rebuke you when you, by faith, step out to do something to the glory of God. So David refused to be defined down by Saul. He said, let me tell you a little bit about my resume. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Not maybe, not might, not perhaps so, not hope so, but he will, he will, he will give me this giant. This is where the, the, the ringing confidence comes from that we so often hear in the Psalms. Psalms eighteen twenty nine. In your strength, I love this one. Listen to David saying, In your strength, Lord, I can crush an army. Now that's either a megalomaniac, somebody that is deluded, or somebody who understands the power of God, that even if a whole army comes against you, if God is with you, they will come down. He said, In your strength I can crush an army. With my God I can scale any wall. And then we know Psalms 23 Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, though death is staring me in the face, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. I'm not even afraid of death's face. Psalms 27, verse 3, Though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. Even if I am attacked, I will be confident. Where did that come from? It came from the lion and the bear. The battles you're in right now, the battles you're facing right now are happening in your life because God has a plan. He has a plan. And so the second thing I see here is every believer will have a lion and a bear experience. I hate to tell you, and I'm not here to preach you down, I'm here to preach you up. But if I lie, I'd be lying if I told you 
everything is going to be rosy now that you're saved. No, you're going to have a lion and a bear experience. The Apostle Peter wrote, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. It's not strange. You're in a fiery oven, a fiery ordeal. Your, te- your faith is being tested. You are being brought to the mat. Peter said, don't think it's weird. Don't think it's strange. But it's going to result in the glory of God. It happens something like this. You turn to Jesus. You get saved. He becomes your Lord and Savior. You know that you're God's child. You begin to walk with Him. You're doing what God instructs you to do. You're minding your own business. You're not hurting a soul. And then one day out of nowhere comes a roaring lion and bear. Well, you didn't know that was coming. And the lion and the bear can be many things. Let me give you a few. How about a looming divorce? Perhaps financial problems. Maybe somebody at church hurts you and you got offended and it makes you want to get out of church and, and the lion is attacking you to try to keep you out of fellowship because you got wounded and offended. Maybe it's family problems. Your kid have, kids have gone crazy on you or your spouse has quit walking with God and is drifting. Maybe medical problems. Maybe depression. The roar of depression is attacking you. Or how about job problems? You might be fighting a lion of lust or a bear of fear or a lion of doubt or a bear of bitterness. And it's coming against you. And you know what it's after? It's after a lamb God has entrusted to you. It's come to take something precious from you. That's why Peter said, be sober, be vigilant, because your enemy, your enemy, like a roaring lion, is walking about seeking whom he may devour. And the enemy has come, and there's a, there, there's a lamb, something God gave you, something that is precious to God, that is precious to you, your walk with God, your calling, your anointing, your peace, your child, your finances, your marriage, and it's in the jaws of the lion. And you can hear Goliath saying, if you defeat me, I'll serve you, but if I win, you will serve me. You say, well, Pastor Jeff, what do you do when you look and you see something precious that's in the jaws of the lion and you don't know what to do? I'm about to tell you what you do because thank God when you don't know what to do, there's good things to do. As David fought by faith, as David fought that lion and bear by faith, the believer must learn to take hold of the weapons of our warfare. That's what you learn in secret, in the shadows, in private, when you're fighting your own lion and bear. You learn that it's not going to be won by fleshly weapons, but it's going to be won by the spiritual weapons that God has given to every believer. If you're a believer in here today, can you raise your hand? Now, if you've got a Bible with you, can you raise that Bible? And I want you to understand that that's not just a devotional book, but that is the sword of the Spirit, the Word of the very living God, and it's what the enemy is afraid of. As David fought by faith, the believer must learn to take hold of the weapons of our warfare. The Bible says that the Christian's weapons are not carnal, but listen to what it says. They are mighty, mighty through God to pull down strongholds. What's a stronghold? It's whatever is holding you or something you love strongly. 
We have spiritual weapons that are effective in pulling the lamb from the lion's jaws. Now, I'm going to tell you, when the enemy comes against something in my life, I don't just sit there and say, have a happy meal. What I do is I say, no, 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 no. The Bible tells me that the thief comes not but for to kill and steal and destroy, but Jesus came to bring life. And I am not, I'm I'm like David. I'm not going to leave one of God's lambs in the jaws of the lion. I'm going to go and get him out. So we have, we have spiritual weapons. Let me give you a few. The shield of faith by which you deflect the fiery arrows of the enemy. How about the power of praise? When was the last time you lifted up a praise when the enemy was attacking your life, attacking your mind, attacking God's lambs in your life? When was the last time you just began to praise the Lord? You know, I remember that old Raid commercial. Remember that Raid commercial where it showed cockroaches all over the floor and all of a sudden a can of Raid appeared? And remember what they did? They all, wah, and, and fled. Now, I know I'm, I'm reaching here, but let me tell you, when you begin to praise God, the devils do the same thing. Raid! Bah! And they're gone. Praise is powerful. Praise is, is not just something that blesses you. Praise is a spiritual weapon. Prayer, the name of Jesus, the blood of the Lamb, the armor of God, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You hear that Lamb crying. You hear the roar of the lion. You know that your life is under attack. What do you do? Listen, God has allowed that to happen so that we can learn warfare anointing because He's got a plan. One day, there's going to be a public a public situation, something where others are going to be watching. And God's name is going to be glorified because in the shadows you learn to pick up the Spirit of God by the Word of God and the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness and the belt of truth and the gospel sandals. And you learn, having done all, to stand and you know how to face the devil and command him out and to see the victory and speak the blood and speak the name and speak the Word. You have learned how to fight. And so uh, a Goliath is going to be defeated by a church that's learned warfare anointing. So I encourage you today. God is looking for giant killers. And He'll give you the victory over your own private lions and bearers. And once that happens... You are a strong man. You are a strong woman. And it'll be like it was said of Jesus and John the Baptist in Luke 180 and Luke 240. It says both Jesus and John grew mighty in spirit. They were mighty men. God's looking for mighty men and mighty women. Can we stand up together today? How many of you needed this today? Amen? Now, I really, really do believe, you know, you can just look through history. Sometimes it just took one man, just one, 
submitted to the Spirit of God to shake a nation. But you can look through history and see churches that were yielded to God and they completely transformed their environment. The Great Awakening of the 1700s transformed England and early America. Second Great Awakening transformed America. The Reformation under Martin Luther, one man, changed Europe. And we're all affected by it today because one man, one man took a stand and defeated his lions and bears. What lamb is in the mouth of the lion in your life? Can I tell you, God has anointed you to deliver that lamb through the power of his name. And I don't want you to give up, but I want you to believe God. What habit has been taking you down? What weakness has defeated you over and over again? That's your lion. That's your bear. And it's got a lamb in its mouth. Your peace, your walk, your victory. Isn't it time to get the lamb out of that lion's mouth and get your peace back and your walk back? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you right now for what David has modeled for us and his courage and his faith and the anointing he learned in the shadows. And Lord, we see our nation in the same kind of a fork in the road. And we know that you are looking to churches, to your people, to be mighty in God. So Lord, we pray today. Church, I want you to lift your hands to the Lord and just say, Lord Jesus, I give you my life. I want to be a giant killer. Lord, I give you every lion and bear in my life. You know what it is and I know what it is. And Lord, I take the spiritual weaponry you have given me. And I take my stand that that lion must give up the lamb of my peace and my spiritual growth and my walk with God. And Lord, I expect victory over that lion in the mighty name of Jesus. Now I want you to take a moment. And Mike's just going to play softly and sing softly. And I want you just to give to the Lord. Have a moment with him. And say, Lord, I give this to you. What can I give you the lamb that I need to take from the lion's mouth? Just have a moment of prayer.